listening to Life Church Podcast with Pastor David Singley. We are in the middle of a series called When Life Stinks. All about pain and suffering and trials and tribulations in the life of believers. And uh, so we're wrestling with some very difficult issues. And I want to commend all of you who have written me emails and who have had conversations with me about uh, wrestling with God through some of these very difficult issues. They're not easy issues. They're not easy answers to why God allows suffering in the life of his children. Uh, But we are taking a very biblical look at these things and trying to find some answers. If you were here the first week, we talked about the idea that God is sovereign, taking our rightful place as human beings, as his creation, that God is big. His, His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. His ways are higher than our ways. And that he, in fact, is in the suffering. For some of us, that's very unsettling. Because we like to excuse God and excuse his sovereignty. But the Bible is very clear. He's in our suffering and therefore we can take hope that he will use it for our good and for his glory. Last week we kind of started a little bit of a mini-series on suffering's purpose in the life of a believer. And we're going to be talking about that for a couple weeks. We can't touch on every single purpose that the Bible addresses. But we're going to try to look at some of the main ones. And last week we came around the idea that God, as our master potter, is shaping us and making us and molding us to be more like his son Jesus. And that he's glorifying us even in this life, starting even in this life. And that some of the tools he uses in our lives to shape us and mold us are suffering and pain and even evil. And uh, only an incredibly good God could use that kind of stuff to bring about good in our lives. And this week, we are talking about suffering's purpose number two. Uh, but before we dive into that, I have something very special for you today. Our very own Cindy Vanderpaul has agreed graciously to come and share with you. And so, Cindy, you can come on up. Um, and I've asked her to share today uh, about her experience and her suffering. And uh, I just so appreciate her doing this. Now, why I've asked Cindy to come and share is not so that we can all feel sorry for her, although I think all of us can really empathize with her deeply and the pain that she's been through with her illness. What I want from you all is I want you to learn how a believer is to suffer and wrestle with God through difficult issues and then to allow God in the pain to bring about good in your life. Because as we talked about last week, pain and suffering and evil can drive us one of two ways. You know, it can drive us into bitterness and resentment and hatred. Or if you submit to God's sovereign hand in it and allow a good and faithful God to work in your life, he can use that for, his, for your good and for his glory. And so I want you to take notes. If you're taking notes today, uh, some of these things that Cindy's about to say uh, will be treasures to you because you all will experience suffering as well. The Bible's very clear that we're to learn from Cindy because we all have suffering to look forward to. Jesus says, in this world you will have trouble. Second Timothy says that uh, you will suffer on account of the gospel. All right? There will be problems. There will be troubles. There will be trials. And so we ought to prepare for suffering. And so take notes on what Cindy has to say. Cindy, thank you so much for coming. And you can hear me? Everybody can hear me? No? They're okay. Okay, I'll have to hit close. First of all, for me to get through this talk about my life, I feel I must read my thoughts as if I am reading a story of someone else's life. Please bear with me. Around 18 years ago, 
Jerry, our young children, and I were living in Michigan when I came down with MS. Jerry and I knew right then and there that our lives were going to forever change. We then realized that our faith and our vows, for better and for worse, in sickness and in health, were going to be tried and tested to the max. Praise the Lord that we have a mighty God who sees and feels every single tear. Jerry is my rock. He is the security I lean on. My children, family, and friends are my gems and my jewels that make my life beautiful. One of the many times that I was prayed over and a familiar song came clearly over me. The title of that song is In His Time. I then looked in the Bible if there was any verses that would go along with those words, and I found a beautiful verse in Ecclesiastes 3.10. Many verses have touched me, but the words of this verse I feel I am to use today. Ecclesiastes 3.10 says, He has made everything beautiful in his time. Also, he has eternity in their hearts, except that no one can find out the work that God does from beginning to end. I looked further into the meaning of this verse by studying its footnotes, and I really appreciated how they described the second half, the phrase that no one can find out the work that God does from beginning to end supports the idea that God has withheld from man the key to unlocking the mysteries of life. You know, most of us have had or are in some type of a trial. Some may come in hidden pains or in hurts that never heal, and then there are those that bury their emotions from the past. Most trials we do not see. My thorn or pain just happens to be very, very visible. Sadly to say, I was never Job of the Bible. In other words, I will put it like this. I have done the whole nine yards of expressing every feeling, every emotion towards my Heavenly Father. And at times, it was not pretty. But... Once I have come to peace with this sickness, I can clearly see God's love for me and his grace being poured over me again and again and again.
I am going to share a quote from Ellen Redpath that I have found comforting, and it goes like this. There is nothing, no circumstances, no trouble, no testing that can ever touch me until, first of all, it has come past my God and past my Christ right through to me. And if it has come that far, it has come with a great purpose. In other words, everything is in his hands. Every single breath we take is in his hands. So, what is my purpose? What is your purpose? I have come to the conclusion that my purpose in life is to live life to the fullest in his name. And when I go through those pearly gates that await me, I will long to hear him say, Well done, my good and faithful servant. much, Cindy. That was powerful. I hope you all will hide that away for the next time that you encounter trial, because it will be a treasure to you. The Bible promises that we will go through it. Um, Before we move on here, I want to take a moment to honor you, Cindy, because as she has said, she has suffered very publicly. And, And many of our trials, many of you have suffered. I understand that. Um, but Cindy has suffered very publicly in front of all of us, and I want to thank her and honor her for the example that she's been. What she didn't mention, because she's very humble, is um, what Pastor Bill and I found out a couple weeks ago in their family meeting. We sat down with Jerry and Cindy in their living room, and one of the first questions we ask is, where are you at in your relationship with Jesus Christ? And Jerry said, well, I know I can speak for Cindy that she's never been closer to the Lord, and that she's really begun to put all her treasure in heaven. I was so deeply impacted by that because somebody at the most difficult point in their life has been drawn to Jesus to the, to the greatest degree. Um, her relationship with Jesus is closer than it ever has been. And so that's proof that through the suffering, Cindy has not gotten bitter. She's not turned against God, but instead she's turned towards him and has allowed the suffering and the pain of life to draw her closer to the Savior. And that's what we're looking at today. But I want you to, will you stand with me and just honor her for suffering in front of us and giving us a great example as believers of how we should endure suffering with our Heavenly Father. So let's just give her uh, a round of applause. And Cindy, you will hear, well done, good and faithful servant. And that is what we are all striving for. So we're learning from Cindy today. Cindy's message would have done just fine, but I'm going to take the opportunity and say a few more things, as pastors always do. Uh, You know, the big idea, as I said, is that we're looking into God's purpose for the suffering of his children. 
And Cindy's right. If something gets to you that's very difficult, very painful, it has come with great purpose. And this week we're talking about the purpose of suffering in this world, in this life, drawing us closer to the Savior. And I think you all can realize how this would make sense in a, in a somewhat of an earthly sense. Um, you are closer to the folks in your life that you struggle with, that you let in on your pain. You're closer to them than you are to your croquet buddies, your golf buddies, the people that you just have fun with. Um, you're closer to the people that you can ugly cry with. You ever ugly cried with somebody? You know, you get snot and they're, they're just wet and it's just nasty, but that person loves you anyway. You ugly cry with some of your weekend friends that just like to have fun with you. You'll never see them again. All right? You're closer to those people that you can, you can hurt with, you can suffer with, you can struggle with. It's a fact of life. And that's something of what we're talking about today, that our suffering can, if we will submit to God in the pain, draw us closer to the Savior. John Piper said this, One of the purposes of the suffering of the saints is that their relationship with God might become less formal, less artificial, and less distant, and become more personal and more real and more intimate and close and deep. And I believe we see that in the life of Cindy Vanipal. That relationship has become very informal become very close and intimate and deep. And the Bible tells us clearly that God has a special presence, a special gift, a special glory, anointing, if you will, for the suffering, for his suffering children. He has something unique for them that other people don't get. Let's look at Job chapter 42, verse 5. We're going to look at a couple examples here from the scriptures. Job had gone through all this suffering, losing 10 kids and losing everything that he had and, he's, and, and losing his health. And then at the end, he voices all his complaints to God. And then God speaks back to him, puts Job back in his place. And Job says this. He says, my, eyes, my ears had heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. Job was the most godly man on earth. So understand that Job had a relationship with God, but here we clearly see that the difference between hearing about God and actually seeing him. Job was given an audience with God through his suffering. A special place was reserved for him because of the things he went through. We all remember Stephen in Acts chapter 7, verse 55, who was martyred, who was stoned to death for sharing the gospel. And we're going to talk about that next week, suffering's missional purpose. And I'm thrilled to talk about that. But Stephen, in this verse, he's about to be stoned. He's dragged out out of the city. And it says, full of the Holy Spirit... He looked up into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Next verse. Look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Keep in mind, Stephen had not been hit with any stones yet. He wasn't delusional. They had not started stoning him by now. But he looks up into heaven and he has this revelation. He actually sees Jesus. There's something special given to God's suffering children. There's a special place that's reserved for them. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 14. says, If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed, for the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. If you suffer for Jesus' name, you carry a special spirit, a special presence. Some of us know what that's like to be around those people. How many people can you think of that you're like, I don't know what it is about them, but they just have this special presence about them. They're just like a well of deep, clear water. When I talk to them, it's just like Jesus is flowing out of them. He's a real person that they talk to every day. He's not just something they believe in. 
then you get into their life and you find out how much they've suffered to get that. And you're like, I don't know if I want that so bad after all. There's something special reserved for the saints of God who endure suffering. Samuel Rutherford said this. He said when he was cast into the cellars of affliction, he remembered that the great king always kept his wine there. Isn't that a fabulous attitude? When he was cast into the cellars of affliction, he remembered, hey, this is where the great king keeps his wine. I believe the wine that he was talking about was intimacy, closeness with Jesus. Something that you cannot get in times of ease and comfort. Something that is not possible just living ordinary, everyday life. But going through those times of suffering draws us into a new relationship with the Savior that we may never have known before. Charles Spurgeon said this, They who dive in the sea of affliction bring up rare pearls. I believe those pearls he's talking about is intimacy with Jesus, closeness with Jesus. They're not earthly pearls. They're not earthly treasures. But they're something eternal, something lasting, something that ordinary people who have not suffered don't get to. I believe Cindy has discovered some pearls in the midst of her suffering. And there's several places in the Bible that seem to give us sort of a formula for how suffering relates to intimacy with Jesus or closeness in relationship with Jesus. And the formula is kind of like this. It says that suffering of any kind, human suffering, equals the loss of something material. Something temporal, right? When we, when we suffer, we lose stuff. We lose finances. We, we lose friendships, um, we lose uh, relationships, we lose a marriage, we lose children, we lose a brother, a sister, a loved one, we, we lose a spouse. When we suffer, we lose something temporal. But the Bible is very clear that when we submit to God in the midst of that suffering, in the midst of loss of temporal thing, there is an opportunity to gain something eternal, to gain something that lasts forever, and that is Jesus Christ. And that gaining, I believe, comes because when we lose temporal things, we say, wait a minute, the things that I've been clinging to in life aren't going to last. I need to cling to that which is eternal. Yes, we love the good gifts of God. Yes, we enjoy them. But we cannot cling to temporal things. It causes us to cling to that which is eternal. Cindy has begun to cling to eternal things through her suffering. She's begun to cling to Jesus. And that's where this this formula can happen. The Apostle Paul seemed to know this formula well. Um, he writes often about suffering. He's kind of the, um, him and Job are sort of the poster boys for suffering, I guess, in the Bible. Philippians chapter 3, verse 1. I want to look at how Paul describes his experience with suffering and how it relates to his depth of relationship with Jesus. We'll unpack these few verses here. We're going to start in Philippians chapter 3, verse 1 and point out a couple big things and we'll be done today. First verse, he says, Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. And you almost get tired of Paul saying rejoice in the Lord, being that he wrote this book from prison. You know, he's being beaten, and he's, he's got this really negative circumstance, but he's, he's always talking about joy in the book of Philippians. And he says, Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. But notice he doesn't say rejoice necessarily in your circumstances. There's always a reason to rejoice in the Lord. When we have Jesus, we are never without hope or reason to rejoice. And Paul says it again there. He says, It's no trouble for me to write the same things to you again, and it's a safeguard for you. Next verse. Watch out for those dogs, those men who do evil, those mutilators of the flesh. Let's keep going. 
For it is we who are the circumcision, we who worship by the Spirit of God, who glory in Christ Jesus, and who put no confidence in the flesh. Paul's saying, watch out for those people that will try to lead you astray from the true gospel message. They'll try to lead you into some sort of a works righteousness, into a kind of earning your own way. He says, watch out for those people. People that put confidence in the flesh. He says, you've got to be really careful that we hold to the true gospel, which is Jesus is the only way. Next verse. Though I myself have reasons for such confidence, if anyone thinks he has reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. The Apostle Paul is kind of saying, hey, if you want to play that game of works righteousness, if you want to play that game of, of uh, being great because what it, whatever you've done, the things that you've done, he says, I can play that game better than you. And then he lists off kind of his uh, pedigree here. He lists off kind of his background and all the things that he used to take pride in. So circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. He says, I got the right background from the chosen people of God. He says, in regard to the law of Pharisee, that means that he was one of the head honchos of the law keepers, the upper echelon of law keepers. He says, I've got the right job or the right, the right uh, public appearance. Then he says, uh, next verse. As for zeal, persecuting the church. So Paul had plenty of zeal. He was so zealous about the law or the old covenant, the old way, that when the new way in Jesus Christ came along, the new covenant under grace, Paul said, I need to squash that. He started dragging people out of their homes and killing people and putting them in prison. Followers of Christ. He was that zealous for the law that anything else that came along that challenged that, he said, I need to, I need to put that to death. Then he says, as for legalistic righteousness, faultless. Meaning, if, if you're playing by the rules, I have not broken any of them. How many of us could say that? I mean, that's pretty impressive. But then we get to where Paul talks about suffering in verse 7. And this is where he really starts to shed some light on how we're to respond and how this relates to his relationship with Jesus. So I, I picture it that this is where Paul says, but then I met Jesus Christ on the Damascus Road and it changed everything. It changed the way I see things. Because then he says, but whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. Next verse. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Let's stop there for a second. The thing I want you to notice here is that the Apostle Paul is in fact preparing himself for suffering. And we should too. Like I said earlier, I wanted Cindy to share because I want you to take notes on her life. Because I want you to be prepared when you suffer. The Bible says clearly we need to be prepared for that. It is a promise of the scriptures. If Jesus says it, you can take it to the bank. You will suffer in some way or another in this life. And so the Apostle Paul is preparing to suffer. And this is what he does. He says, okay, now that I've met Jesus, it's time to reorganize my life. It's time to reprioritize things. Okay? And so I have this uh, box. And this is what the Apostle Paul is basically saying. He says, all those things, whatever was to my profit, verse 7, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. So whatever was to my gain, in other words, whatever was a treasure to me, my ethnic pedigree, my self-righteousness, my position in, in the city, my, my religious position, how people viewed me, my reputation, all those things that were treasures to me, he says, I'm going to take those over here because now Christ is my treasure, see? And they can't stay in the same box. And so I'm going to put them in this box, which is called loss. He writes a big red loss over all the things that he used to treasure. Then he says, you know what? On second thought, 
I'm going to take everything in my life, everything, all included, and I'm going to dump everything in this box that says loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Jesus. doesn't mean he doesn't love some of these things still. doesn't mean he doesn't value some of these things that he puts in the loss box. I have some very valuable things that I'm convinced need to go in my loss box. You know, over here in my treasure box, um, some treasures that could very easily slip in are my children. I mean, how, how, how would we not treasure our children? They're so precious. I mean, they are such a gift from God, but still, they are a temporal entrustment, a temporal gift. And the Apostle Paul says, everything temporal, even the precious things, I put in this box and consider it lost compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Jesus. In other words, he's saying, I'm only going to treasure Jesus. I'm going to trade that which is precious, temporal, for that which is even more infinitely precious, eternal. Saying, I'm going to make a switch there. I'm I'm reorganizing my priorities. He seems to kind of understand Jesus' parable in Matthew 13, verse 44. Let's read it. Jesus says, The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. That's what the Apostle Paul is saying here. He's saying, when you find Jesus, when you find this treasure that will last forever, you are willing to suffer the loss of all things in order to gain that. Even our most precious earthly treasures. I mean, this verse shakes me because I don't want to lose my wife. I don't want to lose my children or my family members. I don't want to, and I think those are some of the biggest treasures that we could have, some of the biggest things that we value. But they are temporal things. The Apostle Paul says his relationships, his friendships, his family, his reputation, everything that he once valued, he places in here. Compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Jesus, he says, I'll give everything up for Jesus. He is my only treasure. He's the only thing that gets to stay in the treasure chest. Everything else I consider loss. How is this preparing for suffering? When he loses something, he hasn't lost his treasure. No doubt when you lose something in the loss box that's very valuable to you, it causes incredible pain. When you lose your health, when you lose a family member, when you lose a child, it wrenches you with pain. But you haven't lost your hope because your treasure is in Jesus. Your treasure is in eternal things. Friends, I'm telling you, if you're hoping and you're treasuring in temporal things, suffering uh, can derail your faith in this life. It can tear you away from Jesus. When your hope and your treasure is in something eternal and lasting in Jesus, it can never take that away from you. This is the one treasure you will never lose. Jim Elliott put it like this. Of course, Jim Elliott, we know from the movie The End of the Spear, in the book written by Elizabeth, Elizabeth Elliot. He was speared to death by Aka Indians. His family suffered the greatest loss for the gospel. He said, He is no fool to give what he cannot keep, to gain what he cannot lose. Apostle Paul is saying, I'm not a fool here. I'm considering everything in my life a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus. See, sometimes, friends, I think we way undervalue the treasure of Jesus. I think we way undervalue it. And that's why the treasures of this earth seem so big to us. That's why when we lose our home to a flood or we wreck our car and it's gone, it just shakes us to the core. Because we say, I have nothing. 
But the Apostle Paul says, as long as I don't ever lose that, I have everything that matters. I have everything that matters. Take everything I've got. You'll never take my Jesus. See, suffering as a human equals the loss of temporal things, and it hurts. It rips our heart out. That part will never go away. It's awful. God is in that, and if we will submit to God in the midst of that pain and that suffering, if we will come underneath his loving hand, he can use that to gain Jesus, for us to gain Christ, something infinitely more precious and something that will last forever. Okay, so Paul is prepared to suffer, and then we see in verse 8 again, can we bring up verse 8, that he actually goes through suffering. All right? He says, uh, what is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. So he's preparing to suffer. And then he says, for whose sake I have lost all things. All things. The Apostle Paul said he lost for the sake of Christ, for the sake of knowing him. You might ask, well, what did the, the Apostle Paul really lose? Could his life have been that bad? He's always joyous. He's always talking about happy things. Um, could, he, could it have been that bad? I want to show you how bad it was. Let's look at 2 Corinthians chapter 11. I call this one of the bad day scriptures. You have a bad day, just read about the Apostle Paul and uh, your day will get better. Verse 8, it says, oh, can we go to 2 Corinthians, Cody? 2 Corinthians eleven twenty three. the Apostle Paul is kind of listing off his highlight reel of suffering here. And uh, I don't have a highlight reel of suffering. I may eventually in this life, but I don't. I've suffered very little compared to many, and especially compared to the Apostle Paul. He says, are they servants of Christ? I'm out of my mind to talk like this. He's like, I'm just going to go off for a second. He says, I am more. I've worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, and been exposed to death again and again. Next verse. Five times I received from the Jews 40 lashes minus one. Have you all seen the movie The Passion of the Christ? He gets flogged and flesh is being ripped off his face and his back. Paul had something similar similar to that happen five times. Pretty bad life. Next verse. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Now, I don't know about you, but one time being stoned is more than enough for me. If I lived through a stoning, that would be the ultimate bad day. A lot of people think that Paul was actually resurrected from the dead after being stoned. Because people didn't stone people till they were bruised or hurt a little bit, or almost dead. They stoned them and they made sure they were dead. You can imagine what that was like. And the Apostle Paul got back up and the Holy Spirit told him to go on preaching the gospel. So, ultimate bad day, getting stoned and having to go back and preach the gospel. Uh, Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. Next verse. I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my own countrymen, in danger from the Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false brothers. We're getting the point. He's been in danger. Next verse. I have labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I've known hunger and thirst. I've often gone without food. I have been cold and naked. Last verse. It says, besides everything else, I face the daily pressures of my concern for all the churches. Wow, Paul. You did suffer the loss of all things. The loss of all comfort. The loss of life, only to have it given back so he could lose it again. And then the loss of, of his freedom. He was imprisoned. I mean, this man suffered loss. He lost relationships. He was betrayed by friends. Suffered incredible loss. But what he's saying here is, I've already counted all that stuff lost. My comforts in this life, 
all the good things that God has given me, I've already counted that loss compared to Jesus. Meaning, if it ever comes between a, choi- a choice between something temporal and Jesus, I choose Jesus. That's what he's saying there to us. If it ever comes between something that we could possibly lose, something earthly and Jesus, we always choose Jesus. Jesus is our treasure. Nothing else can take his place. So Paul suffered. And then we see Paul's goal and God's purpose in his suffering. Let's go back to verse 7 of Philippians and we'll close with this. Can we bring that back up, Cody? Okay, let's read it again. Let's find out what is Paul's goal in all this suffering and what's God's purpose in it. Paul says, But whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. There's once. He gets kind of redundant here, so we're going to keep track. Verse 8. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Number two. Okay? Then he says, For whose sake I've lost all things. Whose meaning Jesus. That's number three. He says, I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ. Number four. He says it again. Next verse. It says, and be found in him. Number five. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. Number six. He says it six times. The righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. So Paul says, okay, I want Christ. I want to know Christ. I'll suffer the loss of all things for knowing Christ. There is nothing like knowing Christ. I I will give up anything temporal. I will choose Christ over anything temporal in, in this life. When it comes to a choice between something temporal and Jesus, I will always choose Jesus. And then you get to verse 10 and you can see this battered, beaten man who suffered the loss of all kinds of things. And you kind of just see him and he grits his teeth and he kind of growls a little. And he says, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing with him in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. And so, so somehow to attain to the resurrection of the dead. He lists four more things of ways that he wants to know Christ. Are you getting the picture? Paul says, I'm willing to go through this suffering because this suffering is drawing me closer to him. Suffering, when we give up, when we lose temporal things and we submit to God, it has the potential to cause us to cling to that which is eternal, to cause us to let go of the temporal things and turn to Jesus and cling to that treasure that we will never, ever lose. He makes his point very clear. He wants to know him. He's suffering. And in his suffering, he takes joy because he's getting to know Christ. Jim Elliot said, He is no fool to give what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. John Piper said, This is God's universal purpose for all Christian suffering. More contentment in God and less satisfaction in this world. I believe Cindy's less satisfaction in this world is a gift to us as a congregation. To see that she is less satisfied in the things of this earth and she is more deeply satisfied in Jesus tells me that there's hope for my suffering as well. My encouragement to you this morning is this, friends. As you suffer, put all your treasure in Jesus Christ. He is the one treasure that you will never, ever lose. We pray for you. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for Cindy Vanderpaul and her fur testimony this morning. Jesus, how you've drawn her into a more intimate and deep relationship. How we as a congregation have had the privilege of watching her. 
struggle and wrestle and fight sometimes with you about the difficulties of her illness, Lord. Jesus, we thank you that we can learn from her and we can prepare to suffer along with her. That you have promised us that we will suffer in this world, but that you are coming again to relieve us of all suffering. But there will be an end, a final end to all human suffering, to all of our suffering as believers. And that one day we'll be glorified with you. We hope in that, Jesus. We long for you. I pray that right now in this room, um, you would cause us to see you as the greatest treasure that we could ever have. I pray, Lord Jesus, that you would make the treasures of this world seem awfully dim compared to the treasure of knowing you. I pray that you would give us a bit more eternal mindset, a bit more eternal viewpoint, that as we look at the things that are precious in this life, which undoubtedly they are all good gifts from your hand, we would look at those and say they are nothing compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. I pray that we would be willing to suffer the loss of all things and even our life for you, Lord Jesus. That when it comes to earthly things, when it comes to temporal things and you, we always choose you. Thank you for this church. We ask that you would bless it, Jesus. And that you would bless us most of all with your presence and a deepening relationship with you. We love you and we trust you in Jesus' name. Amen. opening the window of your own heart bringing us into that place thank you Pastor Dave for challenging us today to recalibrate our value system and to look at what our hearts really treasure on this earth to bring us to that place to understand that the surpassing greatness is knowing him Jesus our Lord And that's where we want to bring you as we close this morning. If you don't know him, today is your day to come and to experience the love of Jesus Christ. It is that Jesus who was born on this earth, who walked this earth in a sinless way and was willing to pray in a garden and die to himself and put everything as a loss for you and to lose his life on a cross to die and in that death fight for you and to be resurrected from the dead three days later and to appear among men and to ascend to the Father where he is there today interceding, praying for you and I with the promise that a day will come that he shall return. And as the resurrected Jesus, he will come for those who are in him, who are in Christ. And that is the great hope of glory. And if you don't know that Jesus this morning, if you've not confessed your sins, then today is the opportunity for you to know that Jesus. Would you come, couples, and stand and be ready to pray? We want to invite you to accept Jesus as your personal Savior today to allow Him to be the Lord of your life. And one of these prayer 
teams, couples will pray with you today and they will minister to you. So that is the invitation to come. If you are a believer and you have known him, but, but you've lived over here, and the idea of such losses have separated you from God, and you really don't feel that you know him in that way that Pastor Dave has spoken of today, you really don't have intimacy with Jesus, then we invite you as well to come. Come and experience healing deliverance so that you can enter into that very intimate relationship with the Father through His Son, Jesus Christ. Let's pray. God, indeed, we do love you. We are amazed and awed by your great love for us that you would send your Son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross of Calvary. We're amazed at the challenges of your Word. We're amazed by the examples that we have been given the cost of our discipleship and our intimacy with you. But you, Father, have paid the ultimate price to make that way. You have given everything that we might have that intimacy and that we might know it in powerful ways. So right now, Holy Spirit, come and pour the wave of glory over us that today we may be open to experiencing you, Jesus, to know you The surpassing greatness of knowing you will be above everything else. Touch our hearts. Call us to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you want to know Jesus, find one of these couples. Others will come if they're busy and we'll make ourselves available. If you need prayer, we're here for you. If not, we want to dismiss you and uh, ask you to depart out of the, the back and fellowship in the big room out front. If you want to just stay and pray and have an intimate time with Jesus, feel free to do that. We're here for you. God bless you. Have a great week, all right? We love you. We love being your pastors.